Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. A minute and a half into the third period in Pittsburgh, and the Penguins up 3-0 on the Washington Capitals. The Blue Jays lost 2-1 to the Texas Rangers. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Ched. We're back tomorrow. The uh, Edmonton Eskimos have their annual general meeting tomorrow. President and CEO Len Rhodes will join us on the show to talk a little bit about that. You can text 630-630. Phone number 780-496-0063. You can get me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. And email inside sports at 630ched.com. Sorry, I was just getting my email up here, Kellen. All right, this is from uh, John. I gotta read this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a little unhappy. His subject line, NHL is a joke. So obviously he's unhappy. He says, hi, Reed, long-time listener. First of all, thanks, John. He goes on to say, I have a pet peeve, and it's been driving me crazy. I'm watching most of the playoffs, and it's very frustrating. I see at least one penalty on every shift, which would have been called in the regular season. It's a completely different game. Don't get me wrong, I don't mind it, but if it's this way in the playoffs... Why not in the regular season or vice versa? It must drive the players, coaches, and general managers crazy. But that's not the worst. The worst is when these so-called experts say, let them play. What the hell does that mean? Let the player break all the rules? Sorry, Reed, but if you break the rules, the other team should benefit. That's why they have penalties, isn't it? Again, don't get me wrong. I love a good hard-hitting game, but this hacking, whacking, hooking, and all the late dirty hits... Really, this is a joke. I thought that the league is past this, but what do I know? I guess we'll just have to watch and let the refs let them play. LOL. That is from John, who's able to put some laughter in there, uh, even though he's a little upset. Well, here's the thing. I guess here's here's a question for, for hockey fans. Do you expect a different standard of officiating in the playoffs? And you know what, you know what, John, first of all, great email. Thanks for taking the time to send it in. And, Kellen, we probably just as easily could have been hosting this show in 1985 and mm-hmm. getting emails like that. Yep. Because, I, I, I mean, well, there wouldn't well, be email. You, you but... wouldn't have been a lot. Well, whatever. <laughs> a, a, a handwritten letter. You know what I'm saying? There would we, have been faxes. We or... could have been receiving communiques of there this variety. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's, that's something that I, I know does frustrate people. Uh, now, I think they've, the NHL has tried to do things. Now, here's one thing mm-hmm. I would say. When I was 
here's the thing. I'm 42, so I'm pretty much the definition of middle age, right? Hmm. I've I've seen as much hockey as I'm probably going to see for the rest of my life. Hmm. And there are some, well, maybe I'll live to be 120. Who knows? Yeah. Like a turtle, like a, like a like a tortoise. I'll be like a preserved. Well, tortoise. you still be hosting inside sports yeah, when yeah. you're 120. But I'll be on the Galapagos <laughs> Islands or whatever they're called with all the other tortoises, all the other old tortoises. But anyway, so th- th- when I was when I was younger, probably you know as as a teen, and certainly mm-hmm. that's when you're watching, you know, understanding hockey a little better and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would rarely see a penalty in overtime. Yeah. Now, are there? Are there a lot of penalties in overtime nowadays? No, but they're more likely to call one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty much tackle football in overtime when I was younger. Unless a guy had an open net and you tackled him or slashed his arm or something like that, there weren't mm. a lot of penalties in overtime. It was yeah. like, oh, my God, they called a penalty in overtime. Yeah. So that's changed. But I, I, John's point is, why why do they change the standard? Why is there Why is a penalty in the regular season... Not a penalty in the playoffs. Why is a penalty in the first period of a playoff game not a penalty in overtime? Mm. I think, and that still happens. I don't think it happens as much, but the standard chains changes not only throughout the season, but sometimes within an individual game. Mm. Um, now there are some penalties, not many in hockey, that don't involve any referee judgment. If a guy shoots the puck over the glass, it's now a penalty, yeah. right? So there, there are scenarios like that. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, because I think hockey is probably different than other sports, in that I, I think in, in football, you know, a hold is often a hold. Yes. Offside, you can't do anything about it. A guy's offside, yeah. a guy's, guy's offside. Guy, now, maybe the rules maybe the rules are more black and white. Hmm. Guy grabs a face mask, the ref sees it, he grabs the face mask. Definitely, yeah. But some, some penalties, you know, may, you know, Illegal blocks, hits that are close. The, the football refs let them go more late in games or in the playoffs? I don't mm-hmm. think they do. I, I think it probably does happen in hockey. Now, of course, the counter-argument is the intensity is wrapped up in hockey. If both teams are doing it and nobody's gaining an advantage, mm-hmm. then then why why intervene a, as a referee? Um, baseball, I mean, I don't think they have a different strike zone in the playoffs. I don't think so. Safe and out doesn't change. Basketball, I think you could make an argument basketball might be similar to hockey. They might let more of the physical play go in the playoffs, right? Mm. More intensity for rebounds, guys competing more every second. You know, you're not coasting as much maybe or taking a little stretch of the game off. Yeah, the the final two minutes of that game seven yesterday between Indiana and Toronto probably attest to that a little bit. So just the way Indiana was trying to come back. Uh, DB says if the refs call penalties, it affects the outcome. If the refs don't call penalties, it also affects the outcome. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and you know, I think that's what John is saying. And here's the thing: if I'm kind of scattering my thoughts a little bit here, but you know, just to pull some randomly out of the, this topic, out of the bag for this topic, mm-hmm. you know, there's the argument saying, well, don't call a penalty in overtime because you're putting that team at a disadvantage to lose the game That's that the penalty is called on, right? Mm-hmm. If t- Team A hooks a guy on Team B, well, well don't penalize Team A because that might cost them the game. But what DB is saying, and I think John is saying, well, you're, if you don't call that penalty, you're penalizing the offensive player who maybe made a good play to get a step yeah. or to get in behind the defenseman or, do, or force the defenseman or the defender to do something to, to hook him, mm-hmm. yeah. right? 
This texture says, with respect to refing playoff hockey, call the stick infractions the same as the regular season and lay off the roughing and give a little more on the interference. So here's another thing. Everybody's going to have their own idea of, mm-hmm. of, of, of how the game should be called, yep. of what their ideal game is. I, I, I do know this, Kellen. Well, I, I, think, I think I know this. People will obviously tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. If, if, if it relates to themselves. Yeah. I, I read a book a few years ago. Uh, and I, I'm sure some of the listeners have read it because a couple of listeners over the last couple of years I've been doing the show have referenced it. It was called scorecasting. And they looked into things like, is there such a thing as a hot streak? Is there such mm. a thing as home ice advantage? Is, is there such a thing as, as you know, referee oh. bias? I remember when that book came out. Yep. Sort of along these types okay. of things. I think L. John Wertheim was one of the authors. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah and it was co-written with somebody else. You can look it up if you want, Kellen. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. I think... Tell me if I'm wrong, folks. I think most of you want the referee to do nothing unless it's really blatant. Mm. I, I really, I really think, I really think that's how most people feel. And here's the thing: one of the most celebrated plays and games of this century, and we can call it that now. We're 16 years into it. Mm-hmm was the Super Bowl the first time the Giants beat the Patriots. Right. So what, it was in... 07? 08, I think it was in 08, 08 after the yeah. 07 season. The gotcha, Patriots yeah. were undefeated, right? Yeah. So, and what play kept the game-winning drive alive? Well, the... Eli Manning scrambles away. I can't remember which Patriot grasped his shoulder. Mm. And then he lobbed it downfield, and David Tyree makes the catch against him. And I don't think David Tyree ever played in the NFL after that. I think that was his that last was catch it. ever. Yeah. So what's interesting there is, now this does not involve a penalty. So I, I'm not directly comparing apples. I'm comparing apples to crab apples. Okay. It's not a full apple to orange comparison, but it's apples to crab apples. Gotcha. It, 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 the whistle very well could have gone, on, gone off on that play, been blown mm-hmm. on that play. Because Eli Manning, and you know they, they protect quarterbacks, he was quote-unquote kind of in the grasp. Mm-hmm. You know, for a split second there, his forward momentum stopped. Now, yep. he wasn't down. Obviously, he wasn't down. He wasn't tackled. There wasn't a knee or elbow no, on the ground. There was a stop of a but momentary pause But there was kind of a movement. stop of motion, yeah. and there was that split second like, oh, he might get dragged to the ground here. Mm-hmm. And I, you, we've all seen, if you watch football, we've all seen the whistle blown in that situation mm-hmm. where the quarterback starts to get wrapped up or is wrapped up and the ref jumps in there and blows the whistle. And even the ref on that play admitted in this book, I think it might have been Mike Carey. I'm remembering a lot of stuff here off the spur of the moment. I think it was Mike Carey. Said I, He basically said, I thought about blowing the whistle, but I thought, given the situation, I better let it play out. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be the one totally deciding that play. Right. Obviously yeah. if Manning's wrapped up by three guys or he's legally tackled, fine. But he didn't he didn't in in that split second where he could have made a judgment call mm-hmm. and quite frankly not been wrong by the letter of the rule. Nope. He decided I will not blow the whistle. I will let this play out. Mm-hmm. And you know to get back to to John's email. John, you, you make an excellent point. But I, I, but I think the bottom line is most fans would say, and, and every fan is going to have his own, sometimes his own different interpretation of what's a penalty and what isn't, I think most fans would say, if in doubt, don't call a penalty. Mm-hmm. If in doubt, 
don't call a penalty. I don't want the referee deciding the manpower, deciding a power play, deciding momentum, mm-hmm. and then maybe as a result deciding a game or deciding a series or deciding the Stanley Cup. Which we've seen in the past. Well, I mean, like DB says, penalties have effects on the game. Mm-hmm. At the very least, in turn, oh, Ovechkin, what a nice shot. Nice goal. Oh, just as I'm talking about that, Ovechkin with about a 70-footer mm-hmm. from along the left wing. He was inside the blue line, but if you you know triangulated the distance to the net, just whipped one home. So the Capitals are on the board down. He's got a heck of a shot. I hope one, one, one year at the All-Star festivities, if he decides to show up to one of those, that they have him in the hardest shot to actually clock and see how fast that well, is. Well, that's just a wrister, yeah, right yeah, under the bar. But, his wrister is as fast as most guys' might, slappers, right? Might have been right? a so. bit of a screen. I, I don't know if that touched the stick or not. That might have been straight. There was a defenseman there. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, again, just to finish this point, I, I, what do most of you want? You probably want the referee to stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. And whether that's a penalty or whether that's a, the Eli Manning situation, whether it's close, you want the referee to, to stay out of the way. Now, John, who, whose email started this discussion probably doesn't agree with what I'm saying. No. And, and this isn't even so much my opinion as I think just my interpretation of the reality of talking to a lot of sports fans and watching games as a fan myself. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's... Now, now, John, if you're listening to 630 Chet and, and emailing me, you're probably an Oilers fan. So you're probably not that emotionally invested in the playoffs. Um, you know, I wonder if the Oilers had a big physical team in the playoffs and did a lot of borderline things. You know, maybe you'd be saying, "Well, let them play. Yeah. They're just hitting. They're just hitting." Ah, you know, it's okay. It was a quarter second later than in the regular season, but that you got to let that go in the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? I don't know, John. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're a lot more level-headed. Maybe I'm. You know, I'm not attacking you specifically, or but you know, I'm sure that that would that would be the sentiment. And perfect example. The Darnell Nurse situation during the regular season. Yes. Right? That yeah. would have happened to an Oiler. People would have wanted 10 games for the guy. Mm-hmm. But because, oh, it's Darnell Nurse. Ah, whatever. He gets a game or two. Wound up getting three. So it's a, it's a worthwhile debate. I mean, do you want the referees to call every second of every game exactly the same way, or at least try to? Or do you want situational refereeing? When it mm-hmm. comes right down to it, do you want situational refereeing? If it's a little bit of a hook on the hands in overtime, do you want that called, even though it might have been called in the first period? Mm-hmm. John does. According to John's email, John does. But I, you know, ask yourself honestly, and ask yourself if it's a game you're emotionally invested in. Mm-hmm. Because even if it happened, let, let's say the Oilers were in the playoffs and they were in overtime, Taylor Hall got a little hook on the hands as he was going to center the puck. You'd probably be willing to live with that if you knew it wasn't going to be called at the other end if Oscar Clefbaum gave a little hook on the hands to Johnny Goudreau or whatever. Yeah. Inside Sports at 630Ched.com. John sent that email, and you can also text 63630. Uh, Rhonda says, hey, enough of hockey. There's not even Canadian teams still playing. Isn't this Eskimo hour? Yeah, it is not, Rhonda. This becomes the Eskimo show once the Eskimos start playing games. Right now, the Eskimo show is on from 4 to 5 on Sunday afternoons. Uh, I'm a pretty big football and Eskimo fan myself. We had Mike Riley on the show last week. We had Len Rhodes on the mm. show last week. We had a couple Eskimo offensive linemen, DeAnthony Batiste yep. uh, and uh, and uh, Thompson in studio. 
First Eskimos game, by the way, Reed, June 11th and is if, our first preseason game in Calgary. And tomorrow, Rhonda, not only are we going to have Lynn Rhodes on again to talk about the AGM, we're going to have Eskimos kicker Sean White on the show to talk about uh, the uh, Team Canada mission to go visit troops overseas. So I hope you can tune in for that, Rhonda. It is 8.20. The phone number is 780-496-0063. This is Inside Sports on Chad. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chat. Okay, 3-1. Penguins still leading the Capitals. Uh, just over six minutes left in the third period, so the Penguins trying to... Oh, pardon me, just over ten minutes left. I'm getting ahead of myself. Just over ten minutes left in the third period. And uh, the Penguins trying to close it out and go up 2-1 in the series. The other three series back at it tomorrow. What do we got? Blues and Dallas are 1-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tampa and the Islanders are 1-1. Mm-hmm. And the Sharks are taking a 2-0 series lead into Nashville. The Blue Jays lost tonight 2-1 to the Texas Rangers. Jays just 12-15 and on the season, by the way. Not a great start for them. We have Bill on the open line, 780-496-0063. Hello, Bill. Hey, good evening. I was just wondering if you might be able to help um, help me wrap my mind around it. I've been a long-time NHL and CFL fan, and I don't get why um, they, they run their schedules when they do. I know for, for the NHL, they added two games because they wanted um, they want, these owners wanted more money years ago. I, I, I remember that. But um, I, I would love it if the NHL started earlier, finished earlier. But the CFL, to me, doesn't, especially with this kind of weather, doesn't make sense that we haven't started yet at least training camp in april or or may but it did not start until they do do you have any idea why that is and what the, the reasoning is is it because of some kind of overruns and conflicts with other leagues or or what the situation is well have you heard of the almighty dollar bill <laughs> i'll tell you this this I, I think i read something about that. yeah here i'll leave you on the line this this is first of all here is what i have heard about the movement that I had talked about previously on this show, mostly last year, about moving the start of the CFL season up. I have heard that it is dead, that it will not happen. Um, Even the two weeks that they were talking about. No, yeah, apparently that's not going to happen. Now, their crowds are generally better after Labor Day in the CFL. Even though sometimes it gets a little cooler, the crowds are generally better after Labor Day because in the summer you got people traveling a little more or spending the weekend at the lake and you know people not you even sometimes people not even using their their season's tickets. Um, so that's what I can tell you about that. That is the reasoning. I, I, I would I would like it if the CFL season started earlier. Quite frankly, I would like it if the CFL went back to a 16-game season, but that's not going to happen, again, because of money. But I just think 16 works better for football, um, but I don't think that's going to happen. So the, we, we have the season where we have, and now you know with an with odd number of teams again, everybody gets two bye weeks, so that extended the season a little bit as well. So, yeah, we're stuck with a third or fourth Sunday of November Grey Cup for the foreseeable future, which, granted, well, I, is an ideal. I can, understand, I can understand the whole dollar concept, but truthfully, myself, and I, I know I'm not the, not the only one, um, I, I've been a long-time Eskimo fan, but I can't go and buy the, the season tickets because I know for those last however many games in the season, I may not go because I don't want to sit, even minus 20 weather, to sit and watch football. Yeah. I remember as a kid breaking my finger trying to catch a ball in October, oh, and I just think, you know, I'm I'm not so interested in sitting in an in a uncovered stadium when it's 
that cold out to uh, to watch a game. Doing it once in a while as a as a hey, that's kind of a cool thing to do. That's one thing. But to buy a season ticket, I don't know that I would invest because I don't think that I would go to those games. And that's why I haven't. Yeah. Well, did you, and you didn't go to the West Final this year. No, you know what? And I really debated it, but I um, and then and then when I. I, I almost had, and I looked at it. And went, I don't know that I want to take my kids and hit them in that cold weather. Do you live in I Edmonton or Yoda Town? I live in Edmonton. Yeah, not far away from the stadium. I live probably maybe a maybe 10, 15 minute drive from the stadium. Okay, yeah, and you know what? This West Final and last year's West Semi against Saskatchewan actually weren't that cold, and they they no, actually and they weren't. But you know what? The, 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 Sitting when you're sitting in the same place for, for three hours. Well, true. You get yeah. That's you when it gets cold, and, right? and and plus the sun sets at four thirty yeah. at that time in November, and we always get the late game in the West, right? So yeah. and, I know what uh, you're. You're absolutely right. And I and I also <laughs> think that TV plays a factor because let's face it, the 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 money deal with TSN TSN's basically paying the salaries for each team in the league now, right? And I don't think yeah. TSN wants to start it any earlier. I think they want more games after Labor Day as well, again, because fewer people um, watch in the summer. And, Bill, it's it's a reality. Look at the ratings outside of the province of Saskatchewan, especially in the summer for the CFL. Like, they're, yeah, they're often not great. You know, I think I would be a very... I probably have a very different opinion if ours, and especially if everybody's stadiums were covered. Not realistic necessarily right now, but um, I, I think they, then I wouldn't care what time of year necessarily, except for the commuting to and from, right? Yeah. But um, it's, if you go to an order game and it sucks to have to take your coat off to find a place to put it, but you can go to an order game when it's minus 30 out and still go, where when it's minus three out even sometimes or or anything like that. I'm just not as motivated to do it. Well, it depends on the wind, too, obviously, right? But, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you make good points, and I, I, I'm not arguing with you, but I, I just think that's the reality of the, the effect of TV, the effect of ticket sales. And I'm wondering what you think of the Eskimo schedule this year, because the team doesn't like it. They got five of their first seven at home, so it's all bunched together in the summer where it's probably going to be better weather but there might be fewer people around, and people might say, oh, I'm just going to pick two games instead of going to four or five. You know what um, What I've heard of plenty of times, and I've grown up in Edmonton now, I, I, I've heard lots of people who um, just don't, because <laughs> you brought it up earlier about the, the summer months and attendance. One of the big things is sitting on the east side of the stadium, even in the summer, but it's because the sun's shining in your face. Oh, yeah. It, it can get incredibly tough to see, or you get super hot, and as soon as the sun ducks behind the west end, then you get cold. Right. It's that contrast between. <laughs> yeah. so you're getting those those first several games this season there, and you know when the buys falling where they fall where they fall. I, I I'm not sure what monkeys they've they've got programming the other uh, scheduling, or if it's just they're playing plinko with some, with some cards and and a couple of discs. But it's yeah, it's not ideal. I I'm not a not a huge fan of it. I like having them all at once and and not having everything at the very end. Yeah. But I well, I would like to see some some Eskimo football other than just July and August. Well, trust me, the Eskimos did not ask for no home games in October. I can assure, I can assure you that. Bill, good call, man. Thanks for listening. Thank you. All right, that was Bill, 780-496-0063. Uh, this texter says, I will never attend another outdoor Grey Cup game as long as I live. Makes no sense to wait to start the season in July. That is ridiculous. You can text 630-630. Little uh, hoops talk and a little more football when we get back. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. 
All right, I had a brain cramp there in studio with Edmonton Eskimos offensive lineman a couple of weeks ago, DeAnthony Batiste and Tony Washington. I totally blanked and I said Thompson just randomly. It's Tony Washington. My apologies, Tony. Uh, 3-1, Penguins leading Capitals. Five minutes left. Capitals are on the tail end of a power play. Capitals out shooting Pittsburgh 44-22. Murray having a great game in net as he just uh, stops Ovechkin again on a one-timer. We're going to bring in Evan Dom in a second here, but first we got Rich on the open line, 780-496-0063. Hey, Rich. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing great. Good. I, I got to say, tonight, Reed, you've got to be a saint. Why? Because you let that guy yammer on and on and on and on about all the deficiencies of our schedule and how rotten it is to sit in a little bit of cold, and then it's too hot, and then people have summer holidays. It was like, you know, buddy, just buy a set of tickets, support the team. If you don't want to go, give up a couple tickets to those of us who have a scarf, (laughs) and we'll go out and enjoy the games. The games are awesome. Yeah, we got a bit of a raw schedule this year, but you know what? Buck up, get some tickets, go out to the games, and cheer the guys on, and we'll all have a good time. Rich, how long you've had uh, had season tickets? I had them on and off now since I was 20, and I'm oh, wow. just, uh, 50 now. Um, but I don't have tickets, the season tickets right now, but I go and buy tickets and go to the games. And when I can get out to them, I go to them, and it's, it's an awesome time. And last year we went to the, uh, to the Western Final. It was great. Um, I sat through the 40 below Grey Cups and sat through, you know, games when it was 25 degrees. And, yeah, the sun's in your face and you get a bit of a burn and then it goes down. But on a sweater, that's, that's all I got to say, Reed. Okay. Thanks for listening, Rich. Talk to you again. That's Rich, 780-496-0063. I will say this. The Eskimo schedule this year is odd. Um, I'm not going to use it as any excuses or predictions for performance, but you shouldn't have five of your first seven games at home and then not have a home game for 42 days in the fall. Uh, Clearly something was up with the league there that they just didn't care and did it that way anyway. But whatever. The Eskimos had a tough schedule last year, and they went 14-4 and and won the Grey Cup. Evan Dom is with uh, the Canada West Conference. Evan, good to talk to you again, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Reed. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Talking a little Canada West football, a league that plays its entire... Now, do you have any games before Labor Day, or is it all post-Labor Day? Our first game is September 1st on a Thursday night. So that's when we kick things off. And generally the same sort of time every single year, the start of September, uh, sometimes the very end of August. But that's when we get things going, and we're happy with our schedule. Uh, now, you are uh, you know, in communications and marketing and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to marketing individual schools' games, that is up to the, the institution, is it not? That's correct, yeah. So it's totally up to them to do their game day event stuff and how they see fit in terms of marketing the games, alumni weekend, different promotions and all those sort of things all fall within the institution. So it's no small task when you're running, you know, 10 or 12 different programs or even more than that at schools. So uh, it's it's a lot of work, especially when you got a lot of things going on. All right. Evan, well, thanks for checking in tonight. Uh, I know we want to talk here a little bit about the Canada West CFL prospect rankings. We are going to have uh, the CFL draft on Tuesday, May 10th. Uh, Inside Sports will be live from Commonwealth Stadium for that draft. I'm going to be down there doing the show. Uh, now, pretty exciting because Canada West had a guy taken in the NFL draft, right? Yeah, that's right. David Onyemata from the University of Manitoba in the fourth round. Over the weekend, 120th overall to the New Orleans Saints. So it was a big day for 
from Manitoba for Canada West and for all of CIS football. He's just the 12th player in CIS history to be drafted into the NFL and third Canada West player to be drafted uh, into the National Football League. And uh, he joins Akeem Hicks, who was drafted a couple of years ago by the New Orleans Saints out of the University of Regina. And the other Canada West player to be drafted down south was Brian Fryer from the University of Alberta back in the 1970s. And he was the first CIS player ever to get drafted into the NFL. So there's been some history there, but it's, it's a pretty exclusive club. What about Adonage? He was a free agent signing. He was, he okay. Undrafted, yes. All right, all right, perfect. Now, how do these guys... Okay, this, oh, I just realized this was going to sound like a stupid question. How do these guys get scouted? And I don't mean that I, I know people watch them and identify them, but do you have NFL scouts coming to a lot of Canada West games? Do you have to get video out there? How do they get noticed? Uh, it's a variety of different things, Reed. You know, for the most part, guys aren't seeing a lot of them in person. They're they're seeing game footage. And David Onyemata really came on the scene with the National Football League back in January at the East-West Shrine game down in Tampa Bay, and that's an annual uh, all-star game basically of players eligible for the NFL draft and he was one of a couple Canadians who went down there and represented CIS and he caught a lot of people's eyes he was handling NCAA Division One players I don't want to say with ease but he was holding his own and then some against those guys and that's when the scouts really looked at the name on the on the roster and said David Onyemata who is this and started to pay attention to him and he had a pro day last month 17 NFL scouts up there and uh, one CFL team as well. And, you know, he's jumped onto the scene in a relatively short amount of time. He's a phenomenal story, Reed. He just started playing football five years ago. He's from Lagos, Jeez. Nigeria. He walked into head coach Brian Doby's office at the University of Manitoba and said, I'd like to be a football player. And Brian Doby and company said, well, well we're going to make you a football player. And they sure did. And he spent his first year basically just learning the stance and learning the fundamentals of the game. He'd never held a football before. And he'd only seen a handful of games on TV. So it was literally from square one with David Onyemata. And that was part of the appeal from the National Football League's perspective. Is here's a guy who doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body, who doesn't, uh, you know, he's basically a blank canvas that we can build him up from square one here into the player we want him to be. And he has all the physical tools to be just, you know, a dominant player in the NFL. And that's, that's funny to say about a guy who's playing at the University of Manitoba and, uh, has only been playing football for five years, but his physical strength is is unbelievable. It's off the charts. I mean, if he didn't get an NFL combine invite, but if he would have, his pro day numbers would have been in the top five in terms of linemen in Jeez. all of the NFL combine. Like he he was doing 33 reps of bench press at 225 pounds, which would have been second. His broad jump was nine foot eleven inches, which would have been top five in top, top five in the NFL combine. He's six foot four, 300 pounds. I mean, the man is a mountain. And uh, he's got NFL potential written all over him, obviously, uh, after being drafted this weekend. All right, so le- let me ask you this. Is, 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 does, is this going to make CFL teams reluctant to, to take him? What's your experience there and your read there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, gonna, he's the number one rated Canada West prospect. He was number one in the CFL Scouting Bureau rankings that came out at the end of last month. And his CFL draft uh, status or, or sort of stock will plummet here because teams – aren't willing to take a first or second or third or fourth round pick on a guy. They don't know if he'll ever play in the CFL. Um, and if he ever does, it's going to be years down the road because they're going to give him lots of looks down in New Orleans. So he, you know, I could see a team taking him in the sixth, seventh round here and just to get the rights to him. 
uh, hoping one day that maybe he comes to Canada and plays in the CFL if things don't pan out in in the NFL. So uh, he'll go low in the draft, and that has nothing to do with ability. It just has to do with reality that he's unlikely to come play in the Canadian Football League anytime soon. Uh, just give me a sense of uh, any uh, U of A or Edmonton area guys. Do we, do we have any anybody uh, highly rated that might get drafted in the CFL here? You know, it would be a surprise uh, if anybody out of the Golden Bears got drafted this year. Really, there's really not a lot on the radar this season for Alberta in terms of CFL draft prospects. And, you know, it comes and goes in terms of, you know, the players that are on your roster, obviously, and where you're at as a program. And there'll be a couple of guys who will get some looks next season. But uh, this year, it would be highly unlikely if any Golden Bears got drafted in the CFL. And, uh, you know, the last couple of years have been a little lean for Alberta. And that just comes with a program that's been uh, experiencing some down times and a bit of a rebuild. And, uh, you know, when you look at the, the last player to get drafted into the CFL, uh, it was last year, David Beard from the Golden Bears. and He obviously played this year for the Eskimos, so he made an impact right away. Uh, but this season, it's it's looking a little bit uh, little bit lean for the Golden Bears. And, uh, you know, when you look across the board in terms of the entire draft, it's a little bit of a down year in terms of overall talent, and that's sort of the consensus across CIS football is, uh, you know, it's not quite the same high-end talent that we've seen over the last couple of seasons so it's not going to be a bad draft by any stretch but it's probably just an average draft uh, if nothing else all right well evan thanks for that and, and great story about anya madam that is uh, that is incredible about his journey to being drafted into the into the nfl for sure so may 10th is the cfl draft uh, i know you're going to be pumping up all the canada west guys that get taken thanks for joining us tonight buddy Anytime, Reed. Thanks so much. That is Evan Dom checking in. He is with the uh, Canada West Conference. Always good to have him on the show. Tell you what we got to do. Uh, we got to take a quick timeout. We'll uh, give you an update on the NHL scoreboard as the Capitals trying to press to pull even here against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Could be in for a thrilling finish. And Paul Sir from Basketball Alberta to talk about the Raptors. They pulled it out, but do they have a hope against the Heat? Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet, the Penguins survive a late push from the Capitals and win 3-2 to go up 2-1 in the series. Uh, Williams scored with just under a minute to go. The Capitals with pressure at the end. They cannot tie it up, so they go up 2-1 in that series. The Blue Jays lost 2-1 earlier today to the Texas Rangers. This portion of Inside Sports brought to you by Northlands Park Racetrack and Casino. This spring, Northlands Park is your thoroughbred racing destination. You can visit northlandspark.ca. Connor McDavid from the Edmonton Oilers, a finalist for the Calder Trophy, along with Chicago's Artemi Panarin and Shane Gostisbehere from the Philadelphia Flyers. Well, the Toronto Raptors won Game 7 yesterday against the Indiana Pacers. They get Miami in the second round to talk about that and an upcoming basketball event in Edmonton. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show the Executive Director of Basketball Alberta, Paul Sir. Paul, how are you doing? Doing well, Reed. Good to be with you. Yeah, great to have you back on the show, Paul, and uh, always an exciting time. Always great to talk basketball with you. And, uh, man, the the Raptors did it. Here's what I find funny, Paul. A, a team that was sometimes criticized for not coming through in the clutch won a Game 7, but the way that game finished, some people are still criticizing them for not coming through in the clutch. They can't win even when they win. <laughs> but you said the key word, Reed. They did win. Uh, it was painful. It was absolutely excruciating for everyone watching. They couldn't have played a, 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 a worse fourth quarter. That was a terrible quarter of basketball. 
But what was striking about it was, and this is what really hit me, the Raptors did everything they could to, to let Indiana back in the game. But the player on Indiana, who had probably the most to do with Indiana not taking advantage of some key moments, was their superstar, Paul George, who really made some bad decisions down the stretch. But to your point, Reed, you're, you're right. The questions are still there. The relief that they won a series uh, is great, but the questions are still there about how good this Raptors team really is. Well, and, and it's interesting. They, they seem to be – some teams can, can tune that out. It, to me, it's I – mean, I mean, you know, Casey has come out and said some things, and, and uh, what did he say yesterday? Who's going to read me your pregame article now where they're being criticized? Like, I don't know, Paul, everybody deals with the pressure and the criticism differently. But I think you and I both know that the most successful teams often block it out or maybe use it as behind-the-scenes motivation. It worries me a little bit when I hear them being this vocal about what's being said about them. I agree with you, Reed. I, I think it's a great point. I think they're very defensive about their past failures, and they use that, I guess, in a way to motivate themselves to overcome their ghosts, You know, as a lot of people are referring to. But what really uh, it really bothers me as well. I'll tell you what bugs me the most, though, Reed, is if you watched the game last night, uh, the first quarter, the Raptors came out, and, and DeMar DeRozan came out ready to play. He came out, and he hit some big shots, did some real nice things to get the team going. And then he had a great stretch as well in the third quarter. But in the first quarter, the Raptors were moving the ball side to side, and in basketball, reversing the ball side to side is really critical to success. And all you have to do is watch the Golden State Warriors or the San Antonio Spurs to see that in full bloom every game. They always are having a lot of players touch the ball. So the Raptors do that in the first quarter, then a little less in the second quarter. Then DeRozan carries them in the third. And then in the fourth, my gosh, they, they isolate with the ball at half court for the almost the full shot clock. And then they run the same thing time after time after time. That's where I, I am most critical of Coach Casey, is he needs to have, I believe, a much better strategy in the fourth quarter in order to close out games because this this obviously doesn't work. Yeah, good point. Raptors now and uh, the Miami Heat, there was an eight-win difference in the regular season. We know that means nothing now, but the Raptors are the yep. highest seed and, and have the home court advantage. What What's your outlook for this series? Well, it's going to be interesting because always, you know, people are saying because Miami blew out uh, Charlotte, there's a lot of people saying and that because the Raptors struggled with defeating Indiana that Miami has got to be favored. But I think, and you know all this from hockey, Reed, it always comes down to matchups. How, how do the matchups work for you? And I think there are some favorable matchups for the Raptors in this series that they have to take advantage of. They've got uh, an aging Dwayne Wade, who will be a future Hall of Famer uh, with the Heat, who really still is, I think, the most critical player to that team. But they've got two players in Damari Carroll and Norman Powell that I believe can do an effective job of defending Wade. And, and then if you go through the matchups, I actually think the Raptors, in a lot of ways, match up more favorably with Miami than they did with Indiana. But I go back to my uh, my rant just a couple of minutes ago. If Coach Casey doesn't 
help the team make some adjustments in how they share the basketball, they're going to be finding themselves in difficult situations in the fourth quarter, and then it's going to come down to who can close. And right now the Raptors are pretty shaky when it comes to closing games. Paul Sir from Basketball Alberta joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. All right, uh, just turning attention away from uh, from the NBA and what, what hopefully will be an entertaining second-round series with the Raptors and the Heat. The it's It's been so great for the last couple of years to have the Canadian women's basketball team call Edmonton home. Magic last summer when they qualified for the Olympics. And now tell us what's happening coming up here, Paul, to help them get ready for the Olympic Games. Well, the, the team comes back to Edmonton on May 21st and starts their training schedule. Then they train for a few days and then head to a qualifying tournament in Europe. Then they come back in July. And this is what's wonderful of, of the many things, as you point out, Reed, of why having this team in our city is so, so great. But now we get the second annual Edmonton Grads International Basketball Classic. And this summer, they're going to be playing July 9th, 10th, and 11th against the China national team. And what makes this really, what really makes this great is because they've got, of course, to get ready for the Olympics just a couple of weeks later uh, on, on Canada's side, but China's going to go right from this tournament to go and still have to qualify for the Olympic Games. So you've, you've got the Chinese who are motivated to get their team ready just to qualify against a Canadian team who is for the first time in, uh, I don't know, 25 years, I believe, uh, going to the Olympics pre-qualified because of the FIBA victory they had last summer. So we get three games, and what makes it even better, Reed, is China's ranked eighth in the world and Canada's ranked ninth. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's yeah. that's going to be great. Okay, but we got in ahead of them, so nice little bonus. All right, so July Absolutely. 9th to 11th, uh, can people already get their tickets, or what's the deal with that? The ticket information is going to be announced next week. Okay. Uh, that You're going to be able to order your tickets through Basketball Alberta, but uh, next week there'll be a release going out, Read with all the ticket information. Okay. Well, I look forward to that, Paul. Hey, thanks for hopping on tonight, man. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Reed. Take care. That is Paul Sir, Executive Director of Basketball Alberta. Love that the Canadian women's team is here. And, yeah, the series against China coming up this summer. The Canadian women already qualified for the Rio Olympics. The shots, by the way, in the Washington-Pittsburgh game, 49-23 in favor of the Capitals, but the Penguins win 3-2. Goaltender Matt Murray of the Penguins makes 47 saves to get the victory. And the Penguins go up 2-1. In uh, that series, we'll see if Chris Letang gets any punishment. He had a uh, bit of a high hit today on Marcus Johansson. Looked like he jumped off the ice a little bit as he delivered it. The Blue Jays lose 2-1 to the Rangers. Leicester City, the 5,000-1 shot, won the English Premier League because Chelsea and Tottenham tied 2-2 today. All right. Tomorrow on the show, as I mentioned, Eskimos president and CEO Len Rhodes, Eskimos kicker Sean White. We'll also have Jonas Siegel on the show, a member of the media who got to be in the room for the draft lottery. Cool. <laughs> Man, must have been... I don't know, I was going to say fun. I don't know if fun. must have been unique. If I could be the yeah. media guy to actually sit there and watch the draft lottery and get the vibe in the room and see it happen, I don't know. I think it'd be kind of neat. It'd be something you tell your grandkids about. I guess.
That'd be the first thing I would ever tell my grandchildren as soon as they were old enough to understand English. Sure. I attended in person the 2016 NHL Draft Lottery. I want to thank our guests tonight, Evan Dom from the Canada West Conference, Kelly Rudy from the NHL on Rogers, AJ Jakubik from TSN 1200 in Ottawa, Andy Frost from Chorus Radio Toronto. He's also the Maple Leafs PA announcer. Thanks to everybody who called and texted. Always love talking to you. The studio producer this evening, Kellen Kennedy. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's 8.58. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you tomorrow. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.